Okay, we're continuing in our series uh, in Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 30. Have you ever imagined your life as a story? What would it be? Is it a sitcom? Is it a comedy? Is it the thing that people can show up to every week and get a good laugh? Or is it a tragedy? Is it something that has one horrible thing after another? Or is it a thriller? People are going to come in, you're going to be shooting guns, jumping out of helicopters, things like that. I mean, Fletcher's probably the only one closest to that. He's shot in a rocket launcher. That's pretty cool. I don't think he was expecting that call out. But um, who are the main characters in your story? Who are the villains of your story? Who's that wise mentor that helps you along your way as you learn what it means to be the person that the story requires you to be? In many ways, human beings, we just love telling narratives. Narratives are just part, I think, of what it means to be human. If you read the Word, a substantial portion, well above half of the Bible, is narrative. We learn best in stories, and God, in His wisdom, has decided to teach us through stories. I find it amazing. And it gets at something really important because I think as humans, we're hardwired into this reality that everything is one big story. If you've ever, I mean, you guys probably history is not your favorite subject and you come in every week and hear from a historical document, but history is my favorite subject. I love it. And one of the things that historians do all the time is they can't help but turn history into a narrative, into a story with heroes and villains. I love World War II history. And we know very well who the villains and the heroes of that story are. You know, Winston Churchill, he's a lot of people's heroes, isn't he? And yet there were a lot of uh, interesting things about the man, but, you know, he's a hero. So we pretend that it's not the case. And it's not really the way the Bible works. We come to Jacob, right? The hero, he gets renamed Israel. The whole nation's named after him. And he's a bit of an idiot. He gets stuff wrong. This is the hero of Israel that we have been reading week in and week out. And we're wondering, when is it going to get good? When is he going to turn into the hero of the story? Well, God is a masterful storyteller. And he has written the script of not just Jacob's life, but our life. Listen to this, Jeremiah 18, 5 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God has decided upon the heroes and villains. He's decided on the people to root for and the people not to root for, the people that would be uprooted and overthrown and the people that will be rescued. And in the same way, each and every one of us have a part to play in this grand narrative of God as He rescues and redeems the world to Himself. Just like Jacob, we have a role on stage and we need to understand this because God is at the center of this story that we're about to read and He is at the center of every one of our stories. And the ending of every person's story ends with God being good. Whether your story ends badly or it ends with well done, good and faithful servant. He gets the glory for Jacob's transformation that we're about to listen to in this sermon. 
He gets the glory via his loving and patient discipline. And so I've got three points that I want you guys to see about Jacob. The first one, the beginning of a patriarch. My second point, the wisdom of a patriarch. And my third point, the transformation of a patriarch. So Genesis 30, we're reading from verse 25 to 36. So please read with me. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home country, home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fed with me. For you have had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled amongst the goats. They shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look at my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted amongst the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every land that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Well, all has not been well with the household of Jacob. If you remember from last week, things kind of broke down at a quite significant level. Internal conflict between Jacob's wives has threatened to rip the entire fabric of the family apart. Uh, while this is going on, Jacob is retreating into the fields, coming back home late at night. He's, he doesn't want anything to do with his household while it's in such chaos. And he's worked behind the scenes tirelessly with all of Laban's flock. And they've grown and he's done a great job. And everywhere he's turned, he has made Laban wealthy. But the catch is every single one of those goats and lambs and livestock, everything that he has is not his. It is Laban's. So he's working for his father-in-law. He's been tricked into working 14 years with him, if you remember from the marriages. Jacob wasn't here to work for Laban. He wasn't there to build the legacy and household of a pagan man. He was there to find a helper. He came all that way to find a wife. And now he has four of them. He's got endless servitude. He's got family conflict. And the only escape is into his work and he doesn't even own anything there. He feels like a slave of everyone else. And I wonder how much we sometimes feel like that. But it's in this mess that Jacob remembers the big picture. He remembers something really important. He remembers the blessing of Abraham because God had promised both to him and his descendants the land of Canaan. God had promised to be with him, to bless him. And Jacob, who spends most of his time withdrawing and running away from all of his problems, acts. He does something. He approaches Laban and he asks to return to his home country. He asks for his wives and children. And Laban says something interesting. He says that he's learned by divination that the Lord has blessed him because of Jacob. 
Well, you've got to remember the context where we're reading this. Laban is a pagan and things are going well for him. And where does a pagan man during this time turn? The gods. That's where, he's, that's where he's going to talk to. So he goes and contacts the gods and he finds out through this process somehow that it is Jacob who is behind all his wealth. Well, I don't know about you guys, but if you found out that your son-in-law or someone very close to you was the cause of all your wealth, how eager will you be to let that person go? Laban is not that eager, and so he begins scheming. And he asks what we would imagine is an honest question. Name your wages, and I will give it. Imagine your boss saying that to you. What would you say? Oh, can I get a million dollars an hour? That'd be great. Well, it's a trick question. It isn't a question to take at face value. It's a test. How much do you think you're worth? If you come back with too high of a wage, you're going to seem arrogant and condescending. You're going to find yourself out of favor with your father-in-law, and he could just say, you know what, I'm not going to give you anything now because of how much you asked for. And Jacob shows just how wise he's become because he reminds Laban of how much he is worth. He says to him, everywhere I have turned, you have prospered. This wealth is on my back. I did all this for you. But listen, listen. When shall I provide for my own household also? Great question for him to counter with. Because he's reminding Laban, these are your daughters that have come into my household. These are your grandchildren that have come into my household. Are you going to allow me to provide for my own family? And the implication from this question is, it's, it's almost a rebuke to Laban because he's saying, why haven't you given me anything yet? You've made me do all this for this whole time for your daughters to marry me and you still haven't given me anything. It's supposed to shame him. And Laban replies, well, what shall I give you? What shall I give you? He recognizes the situation. He recognizes that Jacob fully deserves a reward. And so this is where Jacob is very clever. He comes up with something very clever. He wants every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb because he knows Laban is a dodgy dude. And he knows that Laban will clutch at anything possible to stop Jacob from leaving and to stop him leaving with any wealth. And so he says, give me the worst of the flock. Give me the speckled ones. Give me the spotted ones. These ones weren't considered to be as strong or as good or as healthy or as desirable. In fact, if you offered one of those speckled or spotted goats as a sacrifice to one of the gods, it was seen as disrespect. It was the same in Leviticus. You couldn't do the same. You couldn't offer any sacrifice that was blemished before God. And so Jacob's like, give me all the bad ones. Give me all the ones that no one wants. And they're roughly 15 to 20% of sheep and goats are speckled and spotted. And this means that Jacob, he wants a small minority. He's not even asking for much. So he, he's made a wise decision. And if Laban later wants to try to pretend that Jacob's taken off with goats that aren't his, he can say, look, the whole flock speckled. This was our deal. Clever. Jacob was very clever. And Laban is stoked with this idea because he goes, oh, this is where I'm going to control this situation. And he takes all the speckled and spotted lambs and he gives them to his sons. Good luck, Jacob. Good luck with all my pure and unblemished flock. You're never going to be able to produce any spotted and speckled from those. Well, Jacob's in a bit of a predicament now. Laban 
He's really kind of a Machiavellian, treacherous, villainous character. He's clearly the villain of this piece, right? He's the villain of the story. And it's, and it's a shame when it's your own family that are the villains in your story. It's a shame when it's people that ought to provide for you, like your father-in-law, and yet here he is the villain. He's ripping off the husband of his daughters. His daughters have married Jacob and he's ripping them off. He, he's the father of his grandchildren. Why is he doing this? Greed. He wants Jacob to stay as long as possible and to give him as little as possible. And Jacob doesn't realize that he is dealing with a very different Jacob now. Jacob is done. He's finally woken up. He's finally where he needs to be. He's back on mission. That's the key thing. He's back on mission. He knows where he's supposed to be going. He knows that he's supposed to be where God has called him to in God's promised land. And this whole time he's been sojourning out in Paddan Aram, so far away from where God needs him to be, laboring and falling into treachery from Laban, not being treated well. He's been controlled and manipulated. And this double crossing will not stop Jacob from being the man that God wants him to be. He's finally back on mission. He recognizes that he needs to break free. And just like Jacob, we need to recognize that our allegiance, it's not to family or community or country before our allegiance to God. God always, always comes first. Even as much as Jesus would venture to say, unless you hate mother, brother, father, sister, you are not worthy to follow me. The love we have for Jesus, for God, needs to be paramount. We are beholden to follow God wherever He calls us. And God will keep you restless until you fulfill His plans. Jacob would have to break free from his lazy, comfort-seeking life and chase God's will. And we're starting to see Jacob beginning to become the patriarch that God intended. Why? He's back on mission. Second point, the wisdom of a patriarch. We're going to keep reading Genesis 30, verses 37 to 43. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred where they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the strongest of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flocks, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Well, Jacob's got a problem. He wants to leave, but Laban's taken away all the flocks. He's got no provision to provide for his family. And to solve the problem, Jacob's going to work for a little longer and he's going to produce a whole new flock from the ground up. He's going to start all over again. And the way to do this was to breed the pure goats and sheep in order to get speckled offspring. Now, how was he going to do that? How was he going to accomplish it? And we've got a very interesting passage because at face value, 
It seems that Jacob's great plan is simply to shave the bark off some sticks to make the animals look at them while breeding, and then maybe if they look at these sticks, they'll bring forth speckled and spotted offspring. Now, you don't need to be a geneticist to know that that's not how it works. That's not how these things happen. Well, pay close to, well, you guys probably don't know this. I mean, I didn't know this before I did my study in it, but the poplar, almond, and plane trees are very important because they're very important sticks in the care of livestock. Over time, Jacob has learned the tricks of the trade. He's grown in wisdom because these trees have very important medicinal qualities for livestock. Jacob places these sticks, it says, in the water of their troughs when they come and drink. So these sticks are lying in the water before their faces so that they can drink from water that has been steeping. And the inner parts of these sticks, the chemical compounds, would leach into the water and these livestock would drink in these compounds. Several scientific studies have confirmed that they can cure urogenital problems, reduce fevers, have anti-inflammatory qualities, and aid in reducing reproductive disorders. It is basically ancient medicine. In fact, these things are so, uh, so effective that the recommendations from these studies is to include these sticks in the feed of the animals. So what was Jacob doing? He was giving his livestock the best opportunity to be healthy and bring forth healthy offspring. Why do I go with that interpretation? Because it doesn't seem like that's kind of what it's saying. It says, you know, the word for streak, though, in verse 37, it's different, a different Hebrew word from the word speckled, spotted, and striped in verse 39. So I don't think that the text is implying that he's created spotted sticks to make them look at spotted sticks and then produce spotted sticks. I don't think that's what's going. And in verse 39, the Hebrew, it literally says, the flocks conceived before the sticks... And the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Now, it doesn't imply that the sticks are the thing that made them bring that forward, just only that it happened. You might say, aren't you pushing it a bit too far? We're dealing with like an old time that had all sorts of mythologies, they had all sorts of superstitions. Why did we have to go with that one? Well, we're going to jump a little bit further ahead, really quick, just to drive this point home. We always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Whenever we find something that causes us to scratch our head and go, what is going on here? Make sure that you deal with the whole breadth of Scripture because we actually get an answer for this in the next chapter. Verses 10 to 12, 31, 10 to 12. It says, In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats had mated with the flock, were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flocks are striped, spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Ah, there we go. That's what's happened. It was God. The sticks didn't do anything. The sticks definitely helped them be a bit more healthy as he learned the tricks of the trade, caring for them for 14 years. But it seems that it was God who helped him. Jacob was working his talent as a shepherd as unto the Lord. God has given us many different talents. He's given us many different gifts. And God gives us plenty of opportunities to utilize those talents just as he's giving them to Jacob right now. We need to use our skill set to serve God's people. And it was ultimately God's judgment that Laban would get the weaker of the flock. Just as the covenant to Abraham says, him who dishonors you, I will curse. Laban is going to get the worse of the flock because of what he has done to Jacob. 
Jacob has made the most of a bad situation. He's provided good care to these flocks and he's beginning to build his own household wealth for the first time. He stood up, he's back on mission and God is blessing him as he's working his talents, his skill set as unto the Lord. He's got property to call his own, wealth to provide for his family with. He's also coming to realize that all good comes from God. He recognizes that it's God's sovereign will that gives him all of his wealth to be fruitful and multiply. All of this comes from the good and righteous hands of God. And if you feel yourself floating by in life, worried, wondering where God is and what he's doing in the chaos of your life, if this is you, the steps you need to take sometimes may just look like Jacob's. Bring God back to the center. Could it be that you have fallen off mission? Could it be that you are not on mission? Could it be that you have lost sight of the God you love and have fallen into despair for 14 long years? What happened to Jacob? Despair. Running away from his problems. Hoping everything will turn out all right. Get on mission. Work your talent as to the Lord and you'll start to see transformation. This is exactly what we see in Jacob. My third point, the transformation of a patriarch. Chapter 31, verses 1 to 16. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, Then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats had mated with the flocks were striped, spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flocks are striped, spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Laban, He liked Jacob when he was making him rich. But when he noticed that Jacob's flocks were growing and his flocks weren't that good, well, word started to get around. And it got around Laban's sons that Jacob was was being rich. Not to mention the point that it was Jacob in the first place that made them all rich. But the moment that that wealth was coming out from underneath Laban's control, as long as he wasn't able to control and manipulate things, it was bad. And Laban liked the status quo. He enjoyed it when everyone was working for him. He enjoyed getting rich off the labor of others. And Jacob, to Laban, goes from being the hero of Laban's household to the villain. 
He thought the world existed for him. Laban thought that his daughters existed for him. He thought his son-in-law existed to him. And he thought that his grandchildren existed to build his own little kingdom. Now, Laban's heart is changing towards Jacob. It says here he no longer regards him with favor. That's an understatement. It's now the time to go. And God graciously comes and kind of nudges Jacob out the door. He says to him in verse 3, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And the end bit is key. He says to him, I will be with you. It's been 20 years now that Jacob has been there. 20 years of servitude, 20 years of fear. He's in a tough predicament because if Jacob flees, remember that we're not, we're not living during our times where there's police officers and there's people that can come and protect you. If, if Jacob flees, it's very, like Laban could go and kill him. He could rally all his troops, run off and murder him then and there. In fact, we're going to see next week that he feels like he has the right to do that. But God intervenes in that. We'll get to that next week. But the thing is, when God says to him, I will be with you, the question to Jacob in that very moment is, do you trust me? Do you trust me that I'll take care of you? Will you ride out into the wilderness on a hope that I will be with you? Will you give up all your comfort on the hope that I will be with you? Jacob says, yes, I do trust you, God. And he gathers his wives and they discuss their getaway plans. And Jacob has become a better man after all these years spent with Laban. The patriarch has learned from God's loving discipline. He's learned from God's loving stripes. And he speaks to his wives. And where was this energy before Jacob? He's finally showing assertiveness. He's finally showing direction. He's while being assertive and, and giving direction and leadership to his family, he's still encouraging meaningful communication with his wives. Uh, it took him reaching rock bottom for him to finally wake up, to finally decide to take charge. And for the first time, he brings Rachel and Leah together and they are united. Verse 14, it says that they answered Jacob as one. It says Rachel and Leah answered. Amazing. These sisters who hated each other, these sisters who fought together, were now united. Jacob finally exerted some leadership. And we see that Laban, he's changed Jacob's wages 10 times, right? Whenever Jacob seemed to be going well, oh, your flock's looking a bit spotted there. Ah, we'll make it the speckled instead. Oh, the speckled are coming out. Ah, we'll make it the striped. Laban's always changing his wages to make sure that Jacob gets nothing. Three times Jacob tells his wives of the horrible things that Laban has done and three times he gives glory to God because he recognizes that without God, he would be at the mercy and whims of this man. But with God in the picture, he gives him the glory. And Laban was a master manipulator. He's an expert in moving the goalpost, just like many of us are too. But notice this, we are powerless to control the outcome. Utterly powerless. No scheming, no plotting will succeed when it is up against the will of God. I promise you, anytime you try to come up against God, you're going to be hitting a brick wall. None of your plans will succeed. 
In fact, every attempt that Laban made to harm Jacob turned into blessing. God has been gracious to Jacob. And considering who Jacob is and the mistakes that Jacob has made, we can put this down to nothing other than sheer mercy and grace. God works in all of us who believe by grace. And it was when Jacob started trusting God that he was able to start taking charge of the affairs in his household. When Jacob put God first and his mission first, that things started to come into place, that he was able to shed his abusive father-in-law, that he was able to command respect to his wives who were contentious. He needed a mission and too long he was living uh, for the whims and jealous feuds of others. Too long was he sitting on his back foot. Too long was he lazy. Before Jacob was worshipping at the altar of comfort, he was timid. He didn't confront his father-in-law over his manipulation. And this period of hardship and suffering has changed him. It's toughened him. Before, we remember with him and Esau, right? Esau is kind of the you know, the really domineering, aggressive sort of guy, and Jacob's the timid dude, the intense. He's finally changing. He's finally growing up. He was willing to make himself very uncomfortable for the sake of God's mission. He was willing to flee and risk it all. And when we read stories like that, this, there are generally two reactions to Jacob, to Jacob being chosen by God. The first reaction is outrage and scandal. The second reaction is hope and wonder. The self-righteous see themselves as far superior to others, and especially far superior to Jacob. I wouldn't marry four wives. What an idiot. I wouldn't do all these things. What an idiot. How could God choose him? The other group recognizes that they're just like Jacob. They're just the same as him. And only the grace of God stops them from making similar foolish decisions. One is humble, the other is proud. One group is dead in their sins, the other goes home justified. God specializes in taking broken men like Jacob and turning them into patriarchs. God specializes in taking the undesirable, speckled and spotted flocks and turning them into the strongest and healthiest there. So also does God take the weak and lowly things of this world and turn them into strength for his glory. He takes the sinful, foolish, despised people, boys and girls, young and old, and turns them into a people of grace, dearly loved and treasured by him. So much so that their light shines before men and they give glory to their father in heaven. They're noticeably different. So remember this. God is faithful to his promises, not as an abstract theory, but as a real thing in your life, as a real outcome in the decisions that you make. He will be with you. So I don't know where you guys are in your story that God is writing for you, but get back on mission. If you are off, work your talent unto the Lord and you will begin to see the Lord become the center of your life again as he powerfully works within you by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we read this story of Jacob, and we see how you've transformed this weak, sinful, deceiving, 
small, timid man, and you have turned him into a man that is able to command respect in his household again, to stand up to his abusive father-in-law and to be back on mission for the things that you have called him to. And Father, in many ways, we are like Laban. We micromanage everything. We manipulate everything to create our own little kingdoms. And we use the people around us to build whatever life we feel like we deserve or we need. And yet, Father, in many ways, through your Holy Spirit, we can change. And through your Holy Spirit, we can be just like Jacob. Father, in many ways, we are weak. We are speckled and spotted. We are the weak of the herd, the undesired of the herd. And yet you bring weak men like us, women like us, and make us into your strength and into your glory. Would you work through us by your Holy Spirit, sanctify us and cause us to follow in the steps of those who have gone before. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.